0: Welcome. It's your weekend Managing Madrid podcast. What's up? Uh, it's your host, Gabe Lesnar. How are you doing? Are you having a good weekend? I hope you are. I hope you had a great week. Um and you ready for the week? I am I'm, I'm I'm a little exhausted. I am luckily joined by Kian Savani and Om Arvind to talk about just a huge and You know, just news-filled week for Real Madrid. Just non-stop breaking news that I'm sure um, each one of us have been following. So, guys, um, you know, which one of the many stories this week was your your favorite?
2: (laughs) So I made a list before we started recording of things that we should prioritize. And uh, I wanted to announce today that I think... I've come to the conclusion that Sri Lankan cuisine may be my favorite on earth. <laughs> <laughs> a, it wasn't a joke. Have you guys had Sri Lankan food?
0: I yep. have not. Yeah, Omar, what testi- it? What can you it testify?
1: Like? Yeah, it's it's really good. I it's it's similar to South Indian food. I mean, I'd say I prefer South Indian food, but because it's like fairly similar, um, you know, I don't know if it's that much of a distinction I'm making, but yeah, Sri Lankan food is is definitely up there
2: gabe make it a priority I, to go this week I yeah absolutely in DC. i
0: i actually live next to like really next to one of the best um ethiopian restaurants in dc which is like um actually a big deal because in dc has like one of the biggest um uh communities of ethiopian immigrants so that is a cuisine that i absolutely fucking love also but my favorite cuisine in the entire world the one that i could eat You know, because uh, just in terms of variety, it's just how good it is and how much the emphasis on freshness is Japanese food, guys. That's my that's my choice.
2: How many how many people do you think will ask me if I'm Indian after this podcast? After I talked about.
1: (laughs) I do know there will be a couple people that will be like, Kian, I'm unfollowing this podcast because all you did was talk about Sri Lankan food. I wanted to hear about the rich, juicy information about Realm 100 this week. Yeah. You know, the, the dozens of things that have been happening. The
0: um, Benzema, Kareem Benzema fighting with, uh, 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 Gianluca Di Marzio on Twitter this who is like and it's all in French and Italian so I can barely understand what he's saying that's like the biggest news this it's week
1: a, yeah that's about the most important and relevant thing that's happened this week and
0: otherwise
1: it's 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 Sri Lankan food being like <laughs> the next most relevant thing to Real Madrid
2: yeah well thankful we have a we have a history question on the- on the day of Butroganio's birthday, which I believe is today, which I, Oh know. yeah.
0: Yo, shout uh, out. Happy birthday, Amelia. Uh, uh, Butre, Come on the show.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you guys pointed out off, uh, before we started recording, is that a lot of non-Real Madrid news, I guess, but Real Madrid news, it's all just, you know, gossip and clickbaity stuff. and, and uh, I guess that we're allowed to have, you know, once a year to have just a week of nothing. We haven't had yeah. that. It's, it has not existed in, in the past 25 years in Real Madrid history. This is a historic week.
0: I have one like uh, piece of Real Madrid news because, uh, uh, and it's not really Real Madrid, but it's news to me. Apparently, Eden Hazard has a brother that's not Torgan. He is one of yeah. a number of other children. And his, his, he's got another brother called uh, Kilian.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
0: I had no idea. Until two seconds ago,
2: yeah. Like, I played with him in FIFA last night. I even brought his brother off the bench, and he did he did good work for me. You played with
0: <laughs> Kylian Azard? No, no, in the FIFA? other one. The other oh, one. Morgan
1: story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, apparently Keleon, who is has some sort of professional contract with Chelsea, does not think his brother should go to Real Madrid. That is the most re- relevant Real Madrid transfer news I have this week.
2: Does that that kind of confirms what we all want to happen? Doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't know, Gabe. I don't. I don't. Can't remember how you feel about Hazard.
0: I don't care. I, and that's I don't care. <laughs> it's just, you know, they're gonna make a move. Um, I almost think that they shouldn't, but if they're gonna do it, they could do worse than going out and getting him. Yeah, I think. That's,
1: basically, that's basically how I feel. I mean, I I wrote a whole article that, I'm sure most of you have read. Yep. And, it outlines exactly that feeling, essentially that. It, he's not exactly necessary but at the end of the day you can't argue that it's like bad so it's pretty meh i mean i think there's other things we should be doing but
2: i'm not gonna throw a fit if hazard comes yeah. out with open
1: arms because a quality player
2: yeah i think that was well put so your article um with, which everyone should go and read um has a nice analytical um i guess support to 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 this idea of you know, Hazard may not be necessary, which we all kind of have talked about, you know, what we, what we do need in the squad and and kind of what Hazard brings to the table that we, we probably only have. Um, but I think you put it well when you said, I don't know if you said this in your article or you said it on Twitter when you were in, in the build-up to the article, that he would make us better and I think none of us would cry about a signing and, and, and quite the opposite. I think we would embrace him and be happy that he signed. But I think all of us agree that he's not necessarily um, someone you would splash that kind of money on when it's not really solving something that an issue that doesn't really exist, where we have chance creators, we have players in the final third who can, who can just do things. Um,
0: Oh, hi Luca. We have Luca and
2: your dog in the <laughs> and background.
0: They're, both, they're actually having a conversation together.
2: <laughs> I often think that they, they may have these, you know, these spiritual powers to connect uh, through our <laughs> podcast that we just don't know about. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think we we don't really need him, and uh, you know we've discussed this to death. But we also wouldn't we wouldn't be crying if if he did sign either. But.
0: Yeah, I think the one negative about it, and like I didn't think of a lot of positive. Just in the the he's a really good player, and having like the, more good players on your team is better than having not as many good players on your team. That's just pure you know basic fact. But you know the one negative is that if. Yeah, you know, right now Madrid are in a really, really positive FFP position, and um, if they were in the future going to try to go and get one of the guys that may seem ungettable right now, uh, by splashing just a huge amount of money this summer, where they were like, were they to splash say two hundred million euros, which is the the figure I've seen floated for Hazard. Uh, then they might be in a position where they've then had have, have to you know make it up in FFp the next year like they they're in a little bit of trouble with that respect at least and and that may be the only thing because it's not that they, you know they're not a team that has an infinite amount of money unlike you know you know the the the, the big teams like you know and by big teams I mean they are the teams that are you know owned by entire countries and are backed by those wealth. so they can't <laughs> just like go and purchase. Players whenever they want. They they actually do have a limited amount of money, which means that money you're spending in one place is is money you're not spending somewhere else. Which is why I was sort of interested at like in the Thibaut Courtois for 35 million, which seemed to me a fine deal because that frees that money for other shit. But yeah. in Nazar for 200 million, man, that that if let's say Madrid try to go and get you know Neymar or Kylian Mbappe in in a year or two. That 200 million euros is actually going to be a bit of a uh, bit of a weight around their neck because of the FFP stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a fair point. That's not a that's not an angle I'd considered.
0: That's all I have to say. Other than that, I think he's really good, and he would. I think he'd be really good for Real Madrid, and I think that he has the potential to kind of expand his game. And I think it'd be really sexy watching him play with like Isco and 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 Asensio, and you know, really just handing it over to this generation of you know creative players. And hopefully, one of them or two of them or the group of them can all kind of step up together, collectively, and 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 you know, shoulder that scoring scoring load. But well, look. If you,
2: if you if you you know just pretend the money thing wasn't a factor for a second. Let's say whatever the amount was. Next season, if we're recording a post game podcast after a game where you had, you know, Hazard, Isco, and Bale in, in behind a striker, I think I think we'd probably be discussing like a, a, a five to six goal uh, thriller. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it would be ridiculous to see you know Hazard cutting in from the right, Bale cutting in from the left. Isco down the middle or, or, or a sense you're kind of interchangeable and all of them being interchangeable with either Benzema spearheading it or coming off the bench in a false nine it's not like you know again Hazard coming in that role is going to be scary for any opposition to deal with and, and that's why I think like you know either way it's fine but then we're also talking about you know to me Isco and Hazard play that role like, I, like it's the same role
0: yeah, um, I mean, one. that's why the one other, like, rumor that's been kind of floated for a little bit that Madrid maybe, you know, are at least sniffing around at some of these other big strikers is an interesting one. Like, I, 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 I know that Marca or someone published a Madrid are sniffing around at Cardi story. I've heard Madrid are interested in Lewandowski, you know, story like... I we none of this is stuff that we can confirm. None of it is stuff that I even particularly think is is particularly credible. But it's not that that it's not that bad an idea to like that's what, like if you remember Kian on I think our show last week we talked about how like uh, one of the the Mbappe window might open and and not like you know may not open again for another few years so maybe two or three years and in that period it could be useful to get one of these kind of Stop Elite gaps. But <clears throat> aging, right. Stop gap style strikers.
2: I, I'm higher on Icardi than both of you guys are, I think. And I and I would be more than happy to sign him because to me he's someone who actually fits a need, and I think he's more versatile than people give him credit for. Um I don't think he's just a pure poacher who does nothing else. Um I I, I think he's limited, more limited than a Ferminio or a Benzema short. But I don't think he's this um this statue a traditional nine who, who can't do much else and the up with others. I, I think he would score buckets of goals with the amount of talent uh, behind him. Uh, I don't know if Icardi is even on the radar at this point. I think if he was, I don't, think, I don't know if how hard he would be to grab. But I think that is something that we should consider. I mean, I don't know if Benzema may or may not leave, but it looks like he'll stay. Um, and the whole Di Marcio thing is funny. Because after, after Benzema kind of called them out and said this is a lie, um, Di Marcio apparently came out and said, um, actually no it's true and Milan is negotiating and this is the fee and like you know we actually know more than the player because the clubs are talking about you and you have no idea which is a, a kind of funny situation but if Benzema stays I it's still it's still um, yeah I, I don't know I, I would welcome a signing like in Icardi I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys would and I think I'm higher on him than you guys are but a stopgap Makes sense to me because Mbappe, if he comes, he's probably a few years away, and um, the the market is not, you know, flooded with available, uh, you know, goal scorers right now.
0: The market is flooded with no one. Like basically, it's it's there's just not the market after that huge spending summer last year. You know, is is really tight right now, and it's tight because a lot of the teams have. You know, up there by you know their buyout clauses, or they don't have buyout clauses, so these players are under contract. And really, the only players that are gettable right now are players that make it clear that uh, they want to leave publicly, if they have a long contract, or players that are coming to the end of their contract. Uh, and in in which case, then maybe the teams are, are more willing to talk. The interesting thing is, you know, like Kovacic. So one of the rumors, obviously, is that Kovacic may still want to go, but we have no idea whether that is is you know really true or not. Um, and uh, he still has a contract with Real Madrid, so you know, ultimately Madrid could essentially force him to stick around. But the way he would go about leaving, if he wanted to, is by making a stink about it. And he's begun, he began to make a stink about it, but that was a little bit before we saw the Lopetegui kind of come in and take over. So we'll see how that goes with him. But yeah, the market is really, really, you know, I've been, I've been trying to say this whenever I go on on talk to people is the market is really tight right now because, you know, these contracts are, are, are being written in ways that make it much harder for the players to to to, to get out of them. And, and the that clubs don't seem to be as willing to get out of them themselves.
2: Yeah, this is the situation. This is why I think, you know, like everything with contract talks and, and if you build it around that, the timing right now is just, it's just a weird time for Ronaldo to leave because because of the market. Um, but I also think if there wasn't some kind of plan with Lopetegui and Flo in, in place that, you know, we we may not have let Ronaldo yeah. go so easily. So I'm, I'm not worried. I'm kind of excited, but I do... I'm very curious to see where the goals will come from, and I do still think it's going to be a more collective approach because I don't I don't know if anyone's coming.
0: One thing I keep telling people is that in the past, though, and I, I know it is it the market is like tighter or whatever, and it's tighter partially because of how much PSG broke it the other the other year. Um, part of the part of the thing that's going on right now is that there's also not that like you know influx of available younger talent, but that the. the Historically speaking, it actually was also quite difficult to make these kind of um, world-breaking transfers. Like, even those big ones back in the day when Madrid would, you know, seemingly every year break some transfer, there was always a huge drama about it. There was always, like... It always was very hard, and sometimes it didn't even work. I remember a number of transfers that Madrid tried to make that didn't actually end up going through. I think most notably, Madrid and Steven Gerrard had a like almost a half a decade long flirtation that ended up in him just staying at Liverpool. Uh, but like, yeah, so it's not like this is p- like more. It's a tougher market now than than other times. But I also think that it is a little bit, you know, because uh, we're expecting Madrid, who finally... Uh, have a requirement to go out and get someone to to play in the market. The fact that no one else is really playing makes the market really tight, and everyone knows Madrid has to go get someone. So they're all saying that they have to spend way above market to get players. So well,
2: let's not forget. I mean, like you mentioned, the the market on young players is that there isn't much of a market right now. But also the fact that Real Madrid actually has so many of the young players already. Like we we also we don't we didn't talk about Vinicius Junior's presentation. Um, Plus, sign he didn't mess up his juggling like Dembele did and others. So, I actually have, thought
0: he, I, I don't, he didn't. I thought he did somehow. <laughs> maybe
2: my expectations for these things are so low now that I just like if you can do two juggles in a row, sign, sign him up. It's, uh, it's a sign of confidence. You have Vinicius Jr. Yeah. coming in. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens to him. Um, whether you know whether he goes on loan, he stays. You know, the reports that he goes on to Castilla, which, um, our, our Sam Sharp is is not thrilled about because he thinks Solari will maybe just toss him in a blender and destroy him and then yeah. uh, you have a team that in every position we have a young talent like if you go from 1 to 11 there is a young talent in, yeah. you know, in the backup position and I think at some point you have to either give them more playing time or give them a chance to make a leap when they haven't had a chance yeah. to so this might be the season for that and I also think one of the hardest things to do to sustain winning for prolonged periods is to keep your your bench because generally like and throughout all sports, this is not just focused for Real Madrid, uh in football, but also other sports. If you if you have a winning team, the players who played an important role off the bench are gonna at some point want to go somewhere where they're gonna play consistently because the team ahead of them is too good to break through and they're too good yeah. to sit on the bench. And that's why I think it's impressive that we were able to win it three times in a row when we lost two key pieces in Chames and Murata, who didn't play, play a prominent role in the Champions League, but they gave really key rest in La Liga to two other players. And I think that's an underrated aspect to sustained winning. So the fact that you know we have all this discussion now, and what do we do with young players and Kovačić, um, the situation, you know, we can we can debate about whether how, how true his situation is, whether he wants to leave or not, but his situation is is what it is, um, and Modric hasn't slowed down yet, and etc. And Kovacic wants to play. Like these are things that at some point you're gonna have to unleash them and ask them to make a leap. Um, yeah, I totally agree exactly. with
0: that, dude. That is that's it. I think, and I think that's exactly the way um, Madrid is approaching this season. Though, here I just want one one last thing, and then I want to do questions because I think they're gonna drive. Actually, let's just do our questions. I'll just say that. There's been over the last um, three days, Chelsea has been linked to three different keepers um, from different teams, including uh, England hero uh, Pickford from uh, from Everton, Schmeichel from from Leicester, among others. So you know it does seem like they Chelsea has an upheaval at their goalkeeping position, um, regardless of who goes, you know who, who that ends up going, you know h- how that ends up happening. I mean. You know, so that's just one one piece of news that when you put those together, it seems like there is um, fire behind that smoke. Um, we should also just...
2: mention that Barca also want to sign Willian for 300 billion euros and they keep getting yeah. rejected and they'll end up driving the price up the way they did with Coutinho.
0: That's right. Um, there's also a uh, Barcelona is also interested in um, Rabiot from PSG, potentially, and um, you know, Bayern is everyone is being linked with Marcial and Higuain. I'm just, I'm, you know, it's all, this is all God, it's all bullshit. I mean, it's not bullshit, but it's all like gossip. And if you're the kind of person that loves gossip, then this is a season that you will adore. The problem is that it's just, there's not that much Real Madrid and related uh, real news right now. So, um, all right, let's make, um, let's jump into, let's jump into some of these questions here because, um, I hope they drive us. I mean, because, like, I'm also happy to just talk about, like, fast food chains, by the way. Like, I think, for example, that uh, uh, I think Wendy's has really good uh, chicken sandwiches. And I think it's better than a lot of the other fast food chains. That's one of my one of my hot takes.
2: I don't eat meat anymore. But when I did, I always preferred the Wendy's spicy chicken.
0: It's a good it's a good sandwich. It's not bad. Yeah, what like, fast food, uh, veggie fast food do you eat?
2: Uh, my go-to is I stay away from chains these days because I don't, I don't eat. Um, not to be one of those preachy vegans, but I'm vegan. So my go-to is usually falafels. Uh, nice. Get, yeah. me a, get me to a Middle Eastern takeout and get me a falafel. Load it up yeah. with beets and all, all the pickles, oh. and, and I'm happy. The other that thing is so A&W never disappoints. Yeah,
0: that's a great point, dude. I um I've been making most of my food, but I uh, I like doing the you um, know talking about fast food because of how much
2: people hate it, and I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> can we <laughs> Justin... can, can we do a quick check? Is, is Om Arvin still awake?
0: Like, Om, did you die? I'm here, guys.
2: <laughs> Om Arvin, tell us Omar. about your 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 go-to. You're a student, right? What's what do you even do? Do you yeah, just you live know, off KD so, or um, what? I'm, what do uh, you get? Yeah.
1: Uh, Oh, I cook a bit. Um but there was a subway really close to my apartment on campus and I went to that pretty often. Um it, it got kinda old but, but but I like subway. I you know, you can make your own sandwich. I mean it's just a sandwich. I like sandwiches. Yeah, it's
0: pretty,
2: good. It's pretty Do good. you ever feel bad for the subway worker? I often think about their just they're there and they're they're always alone because the owner doesn't want to pay a lot of staff. So they're they're dealing with 10, twenty orders at once. And I always just I, I want to give them a hug each time I go in. <laughs> I feel bad um, for
1: for generally for all low wage workers, but that's like a different discussion entirely. But I feel bad especially when like you can tell that they've had a really bad day, and like the customer gets frustrated, and, like they put something wrong on the sandwich, and you can just see them get all embarrassed. Yeah, I feel yeah. bad for them then.
2: Yeah, dude. dude. Um, this is a my, good time so to say if involved. you like this discussion, please support us on Patreon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you like this particular, t- I mean, this is what this podcast is about. It's about us talking about our food and, and, and uh, how Ohm uh, uh, orders at Subway. So if you are interested in that, please fund us on Patreon so Ohm can go to Subway and, and buy right. more. Yeah, different types of things but no i i when i was in college um we used to have a falafel cart that would drive around um and it would it would go um uh, weeknights it would start driving around about 7 p.m ended about 12 uh but on week uh, weekends kian it would start at 10 p.m and drive until 3:30 or 4 a.m every weekend night <laughs> it was the single greatest thing about my college campus
2: that that sounds amazing. I I don't even know what it means to be awake at 3 a.m. anymore. By the way, like, my my life with with a baby. You is sleep
0: just... through the night with the baby. I mean, like,
2: well, my dude, Luca is unreal. He sleeps 12 hours a night in his own crib, like just, like overnight, and and that's it. Like just an amazing sleeper. So, <laughs> and then I go to bed early. I wake up early. But you know that to those to have that 3 a.m. 4 a.m. perk of yeah. convenience. You know, yeah, it is. You.
0: It's yeah. it's a great night after yeah, I mean you go out, you have a good time with your friends and on the way home instead of like having to call in Domino's, which if everyone remembers Domino's literally ran an ad campaign about, "Hey, remember how we were really bad? Um and we know that we were really bad. Well, guess what? Like we're doing our best to not be as bad anymore." <laughs> that was their ad campaign when I was in college. So, um yeah. All right,
2: that's slash managing. managingandrew
0: Agile.com <laughs> slash Managing Madrid. um I will read... Let's do some questions. Now. Sajid Rayaz um, asks us about the movie Troy. Uh, he says, I'm sure you guys have watched Troy. Just to remember everyone, that's a movie that came out in the mid-2000s, starring Brad Pitt as Achilles, um, and Eric Bana um, uh, was also in that movie. It, it's interesting movie. Anyways, I'm sure you guys watched Troy. What do you like- make of the being- of the Yeah, it is a good flick. It's good. It's an epic. It's it's fun. Um, what do you make of the analogy of Cristiano Ronaldo being Achilles and Florentino Perez being Agamemnon? Um, both like hate it. each other, but they also couldn't do without each other. Also, Achilles is the world's greatest fighter, but also fights only for himself. What do you make of Cristiano's comments? Wait, what? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a second question. So, all right, the I...
2: I didn't like I Agamemnon. I Agamemnon, is that how you say it? Florentino yeah. was much more likable. Yeah. Uh, I
1: mean, I kind of get it. Um, but obviously, like, it's not perfect, right? Because like Kian said, Agamemnon was, like, openly, like, really arrogant and cocky. But as as we've explored, as you, uh, Keon and Gabe have explored in, like, uh, a couple of other podcasts in the past, like the relationship between Ronaldo and Perez, um it ended on bad terms and it was never that great to begin with because Ronaldo was essentially Roman Calderon signing and Perez never saw Ronaldo as, as, as his player, the one that he signed to be part of his project, um, which is why, you know, for a brief period when Benitez came bail, you know, you know, they tried to make bail kind of the main guy essentially. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it was as openly bad as, I mean, I I hope most of our listeners have watched this movie. Otherwise, they'll have no oh, idea what yeah, we're talking about.
0: But... You can also read. There's this great book that this was. It was based on. You know, like that movie is not like a just someone just thought that up. There's an entire like one of the most classic books in Western literature. So, yeah, you. Great you, point, if you. <laughs> I, I, I don't like i also don't I, I i just to say it. I, I think there's this is i don't like this analogy um i think that maybe uh i i just i i don't i don't i don't see florentino as agamemnon rushed into basically you know drummed up uh a, a reason to go to war just so he could uh uh you know, attack Troy. And there's, I don't see any real, that, that, I mean, Agamemnon was impulsive. He was a terrible, you know, he was not a great king. And, you know, I think the opposite is true of Florentino. So
2: I I kind of take exception with the, the idea that Ronaldo plays for himself. I know that's a narrative against him, but whether you think that's true or not, and maybe it's true, I I don't think it's true. I, I just think it, if you, if you go back to Ronaldo's career and, um, you basically zero in on like you know him not celebrating certain goals and kind of apply that to his this idea that he doesn't you know he he fights for himself i I think that's unfair I think it's a bit naive i think if you i think if you look back and you and he you know he opens up about it later or whatever and he'll always say it and i and I would believe him is that he he wanted to win and I think that above all is what matters most to him i think if you yes. look at his trophy count you know that is the testament to that if he was I think he comes off as a selfish player and I think that's a bit unfair. I think he's, he's, you know, if you go back also to his stats, he's, his playmaking stats are actually quite good and he's yeah. been able to just drop deep and, and during his goal scoring drought earlier this season, he, he did a lot of great work to set up his teammates and some of them turned into assists, some of them just keep passes, but he's a, He's a great player, and this idea that he's selfish, like, I get some of the narrative, but I also think it's unfair to generalize it to his whole career and say that he just only fights for himself.
0: Totally agree with that. Um, also, a fun fact about that movie Sean Bean uh played Odysseus, and so yeah, they only did the Iliad, but if they had done the Odyssey, it could have been you know Sean Bean st- as Odysseus, and so basically Odysseus with a northern English voice, which would have been hilarious. Um the second part of his question, Sejid's uh, question, is uh, what do you make of Frustiano's qu- comments that it was an easy decision to leave Real-, leave Real Madrid? And Sid Lowe's remarks that everyone in Madrid are very calm about his exit. I think we've all kind of have said th- the same stuff. that, Right? Like This is yeah. like we what we've been saying for a while. Everyone's mm-hmm. sort of ready for this. And we understand that this was probably the the right moment. And
2: there you go. Yeah. No, we spoke about the... We spoke at length about the idea that there's, there is emotional detachment from to Ronaldo from Madrid fans in Madrid. That they're just yeah. you know they're excited about and I, and by the way I just right on cue I talked to someone from Madrid today who just told me about this. He's like, yeah, I think there's a really great opportunity next season, and you know we're excited to see what the team does without Ronaldo. And again, not saying you know we necessarily feel that way or whatever, but this is a very real thing that exists and um yeah, we talked about this last week but
0: yeah it's just it's all sort of mutual and, and understanding and you know eventually Ronaldo will retire and Madrid will probably bring him back and and do this whole thing with him and you know he will always be a Real Madrid legend he will always be a Real Madrid player he played the the best parts of his career at this club and he played the longest part of his career at this club so he is a Real Madrid legend and um but it, he also was ready to go, and Madrid was ready to to begin to hand the process of handing over the team to these younger players. All right. Um. Ramin Naghi asks us, um, who do you guys see as our primary free kick takers besides Bale? Oh, and how long do you guys think it will take for people to find a narrative where quote Isco is the problem for during our up, uh, upcoming season? Also, congrats, Gabe, for getting married soon. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's um. I'm very, I'm super duper excited, um, but it is uh, a lot of money. <laughs> uh, in terms of free kick takers, Madrid has a lot of them. But if, if I would say, I would, I would remind everyone that arguably the best goal of the World Cup was scored by a free kick by a certain Tony Kroos. So I would be interested to see whether he might be someone Madrid would be interested in uh, opening up the free kick duties to. I feel like Sergio Ramos is going to be taking a lot of free kicks. Now. No, he
1: is. I, I think penalties moments, too. Yeah, I, I think oh. because I think we all know Bale has always been second in line. I mean, a thing about the Ronaldo free kick situation is um, there was a tendency that to to just say it was Ronaldo who took them all. But when Ronaldo and Bale were on the pitch together, which became quite rare as Bale's injury history like began. Um Bale was 99% of the time taking all the free kicks from the right-hand side of the pitch. Um so I think there's no question that Bale is number 1 like Ramin said besides Bale. Um but after that I think it's just a seniority thing. So I think if Ramos just, you know, walks up the pitch and says it's mine, I don't think a single person is arguing with him. But after that it's just whoever can be most assertive after that, um that's going to take it. And there's numbers of players. I think Cross. Um, Isco can take a decent free kick. Um, Montage can as well. Uh, I know Casemiro is actually a
0: good free kick taker. He, he shoots a nasty knuckleball. Um, I'm so, pretty yeah. excited to see, I'm sure Lovadeghi will just work with them to figure out. And my guess is that well, what we're going to see is a lot more of a division of labor. Like Ronaldo really liked his himself a free kick, but you know, now that there are so many people who are capable, I if it were me, I would say, um, you guys should just sort it out and um, kind of divide the pitch up into who can hit the ball best from each angle.
1: I personally would give it after Bale, I would give it to mainly Kroos. Bale
0: and Crows. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if Hamas was there, Hamas would be my number one pick actually. But after Bale, I want Crows taking my free kicks. But yeah. um, you know. You know, Isco wouldn't be a bad option sometimes, but I think I think it's pretty clear. Kroos is the second best option after
2: Bale. Uh, I, I mean, I think Isco. I, so, sorry, Gabe, just to no, jump in. Dude, whatever. Uh, I I do see a scenario where you see Bale taking the ones on the right side, and then because we have so many left, or sorry, right footers in the team, from the left side it gets interesting. I think Isco and Ramos will share them. I I agree that I would like to see Kroos in the mix. I don't know if he takes them, but. That goal he scored against Sweden was one of the most precise shots from like an angle like that. The accuracy, the 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 venom behind it, it was so perfectly placed that if he if it goes an inch or this way or that way or if it's an inch or you know it's a little bit slower, it's not going in. It was so perfect. Um, One of the things I think the Casemiro point is interesting because I think there should be room for. for for having those unorthodox free kick takers like Casemiro like we've seen him score one or two just crazy ones for Porto and this kind of goes back to how i felt uh earlier in the millennium uh in in this century where the 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 status quo free kick takers were Zidane, Roberto Carlos, Beckham, Figo and the fifth choice which we never got to see was Raul who he would take them like once every I don't know six months, and he would score from like every single one. Um, and uh, it's it just I, I would hope that maybe Lupategi kind of like like Gabe said works with the team and comes up with these different scenarios and kind of just shuffles it a bit and and see yeah. what he can come up with. And that's something we never really got to see in the Ronaldo era. Like that. I would also is cool. I would
0: also say that I think that Asensio probably is going to work his way into the mix. Sure. I mean I know we haven't seen him uh, do it, but we do know that he has a fantastic shot and he's precise and powerful and he is sort of a lot of Madrid's hopes are riding on him taking the next step into being an actual superstar and so he might he might be the choice uh eventually too yes um all right essa hariri says uh what's up guys what's up essa how you doing are you uh having a good uh I hope you had, you're having a good week, Get, getting ready for the next week. It's a good um, Sunday, you know, chilling. Um, Essa says, I have three small questions for you. One, do you think Ronaldo will retire at Juve? And if so, would that make you sad that he'll be remembered in people's short term as a Juve player, despite all I did with Real Madrid, especially if he achieves much there? I don't think he'll retire at Juve. In fact, I'm, now I would, I'd be willing to wager a substantial – chunk of my money on that actually Mm -hmm. yeah i think
1: he's going to retire somewhere like the mls or something like that i mean ronaldo's talked about it he likes la you know Miami. yeah he he likes the united states in general um it's a great place to go you know continue to market his brand um i i i personally see him retiring somewhere like in the mls um and and not not anytime soon i think while we've discussed that, you know, maybe two, three seasons from now, he's no longer up there with the best in the world. I think he comfortably plays till he's like forty years old. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah Ronaldo's just he loves football too much, he's too fit, yeah. you know, he has too much hunger, too much desire in football and outside the footballing world and in marketing and his business to just quit that easily.
0: People will remember Ronaldo as a Real Madrid player.
2: Yeah, that there's oh. no question. Well Jorge Mendes said that um, and again, you know, you know, you can believe it or not, but he said that this will be Ronaldo's last stop, is going to Juventus, just finishing out his career. Like you guys, I, I, I don't think that is actually true, know, but just something think. that he said, um, you know, this past week. I think that may very well be true. That hits his last uh, quote-unquote uh, significant stop in terms of his footballing career, but in terms of his of where he goes to to make more money, that that is not going to be his last stop. Yeah.
0: And just where he goes, because that's the place that he wants to like build his family and, and, you know, personality and and whatnot. It just, LA seems like a, a classic answer. It's I the think place to go. everyone knows that Ronaldo also really enjoys Miami. I think, you know, one of those, um, and you know, their MLS teams in both, well, the Miami one is pretty new, but you know, the LA has now two MLS sides. Like, I'm sure that one of them would basically offer Ronaldo could you know an equity stake to play for them. That's the kind of thing he, I could totally see him doing, and I could also see him just going to China and being given a hundred million euros to play one year.
2: <laughs> if he uh, if yeah. he went to somewhere like L.A. or Miami, I would consider moving there with him. Just, to, <laughs> but like just to, uh, just to be able to connect with him later in his career because the it's the access that. American, yeah it's way better the max the access in, in american sports is, is so much better than um not american sports but american i guess sports culture uh players are more accessible so if you could if you if i would be able to just dig into it and dissect his brain later into his career i would uh but only if he goes to like la but if you move to like i don't know New York, yeah. i don't think i would follow him it also has uh, to work for me as well
0: yeah um Let's see. Next question is, do you think someone outside La Liga can win the Ballon d'Or? Certainly you mean this season. Um and uh, I think he says the only potential candidate being Ronaldo. I mean Ronaldo I think... probably is the favorite right now. Yeah, I like... think
1: Ronaldo's still the favorite and like like we mentioned, there's still a long way to go. I mean in the last podcast, you know, the next couple months in the beginning of the season will be decisive, but yeah, I think Ronaldo's really the only chance and even then I don't think a single person is is going to think of him as a Juve player win- winning it even though that'll be the fact and more that it was his achievements with Real Madrid that led to it. Um, I mean, I'm not sure it'll even matter at the end of the day if someone outside of... La- if Ronaldo wins it outside of La Liga because I'm sure we'll still consider him to have won it as a Real Madrid player.
2: It still to me is like out of Salah, Neymar, or not sorry, not Neymar, Salah, Messi and Ronaldo. Out of those three, who is going to start the season on fire and score like a bunch of goals from mid August to December? And that's I think
1: Modric, I think Modric has successfully put himself at least third because I think the campaign has been so huge from the media side and with him winning the golden ball that I just feel like I kind of feel it was like when Iniesta um, I'm pretty sure Iniesta got a top three in in 2012. I could be wrong. I think maybe that was the. He was a finalist, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry,
2: yeah, I, I think th- might. I think Modric is easily a finalist, and if it were up to me, I'd, I'd even probably give him the damn award. But I would also say that no one else would. The way that's given, and you've talked about this on before, is that uh, although he may be a finalist, the winner is to me is just whoever's going to bang a bunch of goals and, yeah. and really just slam our recency bias, um, mm-hmm. cement it, and. And that'll be it.
1: I'm not sure anyone cares about the award anymore. Like, I stopped caring about it after Ronaldo won his third one because there was, like, an attachment kind of there when Ronaldo was fighting back to equal Messi. But then afterwards, like, I just couldn't care anymore. Um, I don't know. May- maybe it feels like people stopped caring because Ronaldo won it. But I think we're just tired. And I think most fans are starting to understand that it's not the be-all and and, and, and end-all of of deciding who was the best in the world. We're starting to realize that the calendar year way of structuring it is kind of stupid.
2: Yeah. Um, I only care about it if my fair players win. If they don't win, it's a joke award.
1: I mean, even if... <laughs> I mean, that that is definitely true. Like, Barcelona fans definitely cared about this trophy deeply when Messi was winning it, and all of a sudden they were calling it trash when Ronaldo won it. But I think in general, we've kind of moved past the idea of this award, or at least the way this award is given out and structured. And I think, I think a good move would, by FIFA would be or end the Ballon d'Or on um, people would be to scrap their current way of doing it give it based on seasons and yeah. not years and then just just give the award within 2 seconds cuz like there's so much bullshit that goes on beforehand they like have two bands come in and play and like no one gives yeah. a fuck and 3 hours later you just finally see the award and the, like, the
2: award ceremony is very cringy. and if it were up to me I would just it would just um just make it Twitter announcements.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I there's ways. People to are make for it. fucking are
2: obsessed are with this least, shit too. At least hire a bunch of kids to make some noise. Um, because I feel bad for these great kind of journalists like Kay Murray who go up there and have to like MC the event and nobody, everyone is just looking at it with a straight face and everyone's like sweating in the crowd. I just, I, I, I feel so uncomfortable that I just turn it they off. They should
0: take I'm a like, page out of the American fucking books and just. Uh, hire a, a comedian to just roast them. They just mm-hmm. go up there. And roast just like would
2: be a great idea absolutely wow. I,
0: I don't think, I don't think on all these people.
2: That's such a good I idea. Don't,
1: that would be awesome But like European sporting culture is just so much more like closed off and conservative like Keon mentioned It's so hard to get access to I think it would be interesting to see Ronaldo watching as he got roasted on stage to see how he'd react uh, <laughs> I was down for that, but I don't know how how well, you know, these European superstars will react to that.
2: Or get a real personality to host, like maybe like someone like Zlatan. I would watch that. Oh, I that was shown out of that. Yeah.
0: I watch every set. He'd give it to himself. He'd be like, <laughs> Yeah, and the vote is, Oh, I won it. That's me. It's like, <laughs> I know you say I wasn't nominated, but that's what it says. Sorry. dot um, right, Patreon.com, slash managing, the, hey, yeah, <laughs> patreon.com <laughs> slash managing Madrid. Patreon.com slash <laughs> Managing Madrid. Essa says, uh, Do you think someone, else, oh, yeah, here, patreon.comslash man, has Isco reached his peak? I think that's a great question. Um, and I think that is going to, def- there's going to be a, a lot of Madrid's next few years is going to ride on the answer to that question.
1: So Isco is 26 years old right now, and I can kind of consider a footballer's peak to be. 27 to 29 years old maybe 26 to 30 Um, so I would say that right now when it comes to all his physical qualities and his technical qualities he is in his prime years but we haven't got to see the best of what Isco can do at Real Madrid if that makes sense because he really hasn't gotten the consistent playing time since really the Ancelotti years when he was still very much growing as a player, um, and I think this whole situation at Real Madrid comes at a perfect time for Isco because he is entering his prime years. And if he if he gets his chance, if he plays in a well-structured system, and you know he's he's not allowed to roam too free and too far, I think we can really see. I think people will perceive it to be a huge leap for Isco, like the 16-17 season. People thought. This Isco is something we've never seen when personally I thought Isco had always showed that quality. It's just that we were seeing it more regularly. I think something what we saw towards the end of the 2016-17 season is what we're in for over the next couple seasons. And I think people will perceive that to be this is just Isco on another level. And while I think he is going to move up you know, a, a bit in, in his ability, I think this is just going to be something us seeing what we could have sort of seen before had he more had more minutes um, and just really him showing us something that was already there um if if that makes sense
2: yeah i think the esco that we saw in 2013 when we had just signed him from malaga we were excited about him i think we all knew his talent level and we all expected that he would get to he had the potential to become just an elite elite world class player, one of the best in his position. And I think it wasn't until last season where we truly saw that kind of prophecy fulfilled. And a lot of a lot of years of just kinda of grinding through on in, in and out of form, being a bit superfluous with the ball, tunnel vision with the ball at times, learning to kind of iron out and flesh out some of the inefficiencies of his game and still was still and still working on it. I think I think Ohm's Point twenty six to thirty. It's a. It's a generally that's a good peak. I would say as we go year to year and we see what the human body is capable of. I think we can see the peak extended. We talked a bit about this last week. How you know, just certain players will have better seasons even past their peak, like LeBron or Modric. uh, This year, you wouldn't say this is prime Modric, but you could argue this is maybe his best football because just the the level he's playing at, the, the amount of time he sustained it for. I think it's not inconceivable that we see ISCO's best years coming like three or four years from now. Um I Yeah.
1: I, I would I I I, I kind of I agree with the general idea of what you're saying. I think um I, I still think the peak years haven't really changed in a sense that like I would say like LeBron's peak was still twenty thirteen when he was twenty eight years old. Yeah. Um but I the ability to extend, like stretch those prime years, even while there's a decline to maintain that super high level, even if you're not at your absolute best, is definitely something that has changed. If you look at like Ronaldinho, you yeah. know, you, you look at those types of players, Raul. they they had super high peaks. And then there was a huge drop off afterwards. I mean, even Lionel Messi right now, um, I, I'm guessing this what I'm going to say is kind of a hot take, but I, we haven't seen peak Messi in a while. No, now, it's in my not opinion,
2: hot take. It, uh, if, I, if you watch Messi game in, game out, it wasn't the same Messi. Yeah, Just possessed more often, gave the ball away more often, okay. but he's still he's still great. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're right, but I would say, um, I think the the thing we can say that if you're not at your physical peak, you could be at your mental peak at 30.
1: Yeah, I think I think the thing with like for example LeBron, he has gotten more intelligent with yep. his passing. I exactly. would say I, I think you could argue this was his greatest offensive season. Yeah. and maybe not his best overall because he saved himself on defense. Yeah. And I think with Ronaldo, I think in 2016-17, you could have said that Champions League campaign was his best because he was just so intelligent with the way he used himself. He, he yeah. Essentially, his timing was perfect with the knockout goals he scored. Um, But yeah, I don't think we're in much disagreement here. It's more semantics. But yeah, yeah. yeah definitely, I would I would agree Isco, 32, 33 years old, could still be a class player. Um, And... I mean, I I hope I hope he reaches his full potential with Lopetegui. I hope he stays here a while. Um, I it's something I'm really anticipating. I'm really excited. Isco was my favorite signing, post Ronaldo. I was never as excited for a signing as 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 I was for him. You know, even you know Bale, Hamas, all these players. Isco was the one that excited me the most. So I have a real personal stake in hoping that we see the absolute best of him this season. And if, if it happens, we're going to be in for some really, really fun football.
0: yo know, and I just want to say just to move on, um, huge shout out to Mesut Ozil, absolute King releasing an incredible statement, uh, where he quit is quitting the German national team over, uh, the racism and flagrant xenophobia of the DFB. Uh, I'm just going to read quickly from it. Uh, 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 you know, he, he says, um, uh, this is because despite paying my taxes in Germany, donating facilities to German schools and winning the World Cup with Germany in 2014, I am still not accepted into society. I'm treated as being different. I received the Bambi Award in 2010 as an example of successful integration into German society. I received a silver laurel leaf in 2014 from the Federal Republic of Germany, and I was a German football ambassador in 2015. But clearly, I am not German. Are there criteria for being fully German that I do not fit? My friend, Lukas Podolski, and Miroslav Klose are never referred to as German-Polish, so why am I German-Turkish? Is it because it is Turkey? Is it is it because I'm a Muslim? I think here lays an important issue. By being referred to as German-Turkish, it is already distinguishing people who have family from more than one country. I was born and educated in Germany, so why don't people accept that I am German? The DFB's opinion can be found elsewhere, too. I was called by Bernd um, Holtzhausauer, a German politician, a goat fucker, because of my p- picture with President Erdogan and my Turkish background. Furthermore, Werner Stier, uh, t- uh, the chief of German theater, told me to piss off to Anatolia, a place in Turkey where many immigrants are based. As I have said before, criticizing and abusing me because of my family ancestry is a disgraceful line to cross, and u- and using discrimination as a tool for political propaganda is something that should immediately result in the res- resignation of those disrespectful individuals. These people have used my picture with President Erdogan as an opportunity to express their previously hidden racist tendencies, and this is dangerous to our society." They are no better than the German fan who told me after the game against Sweden, uh, Ozil, fuck off, you Turkish shit. Piss off, you Turkish pig. Ozil, Mezid Ozil, king. Congratulations. This is an incredibly powerful resignation letter. I'm so sorry that he had to go through this. And I'm so, so, so impressed that he stepped up like this. He's an absolute king. So... This is an interesting situation because I think everything
1: Ozil said in this statement is 100% correct because there has been an issue, especially in in the whole German Federation, with racism towards Ozil. And I think just in general, the way over the World Cup we've treated immigrants as being part of our country when they do something good, but then separating our identity from us when they do something bad. But I think also... uh, in in his first statement, Ozil kind of, because he, he did kind of go out of his way to meet with Erdogan and do a press shoot in election time in Turkey. And he tried to brush that, brush that off as something that was apolitical. And so I think the reaction to that from the German press and from the German Federation was disgraceful because the angle they took was extremely xenophobic. But I think I think mostly I side with Ozil here, but the way he tried to brush off what he did with Erdogan is not something that sit well, sits well with me because you can't just meet, you know, with a political leader in election time and then say it was completely apolitical, as a charity event. Erdogan was, was 100% using that to lend credibility to his fascist
0: rule in Turkey. I mean, sure. Erdogan, I, all, and, I'm, all I'm saying is uh, the, the demonization of, uh, like you were saying, the demonization of immigrants... Uh, and the making them not, you know, pr- making them as not part of the country when they do something bad uh, is terrible. And I'm mm-hmm. very glad Urzel is calling it out that it is separate from the questions of his own, in my opinion, his own you know morality and whether that itself is a what is you know is under question, given the fact that he decided to do a publicity shoot with uh, uh, with Erdogan, just like Salah, for example, mm-hmm. did a publicity shoots, uh, a number of publicity shoots with, uh, with Ramzan Khadyrov in, in, um, uh, the Chechen leader. So, I mean, these are all questions, but the, the DF, the way that the DFB handled it is is a disgraceful thing. And I'm glad that Israel called them out. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I agree. It's also
1: worth noting that, uh, Matar Matar Lothouse. I don't know how to pronounce his name yeah. properly. He um he met with Putin, and there was an outrage about that. So yeah, there, there was definitely bias there. And also, I think, I, I I think you have to take a very nuanced opinion here because there have been articles written about Turkish players. I think like Arda Turan, who did not endorse Erdogan, who refused to take pictures with him, and essentially have, you know, they're, they're not welcome in Turkey anymore. So I. It's it's difficult. I, I don't know if Ozil had as much of a choice as some of us think we do, but I, I definitely think that, Gabe, to your original point, the reaction to it was not the type of reaction that anyone would have wanted. I think there was space for political criticism, of what Ozil did for being naive, for questioning, you know, whether how much of a choice he had in that decision. But the and angle, even
0: supporting Erdogan, you you can you should be quite like, criticized. For right. That. But the, the the way that they've gone about criticizing it, it's completely the wrong
1: way. It. Yeah. The angle they took was was you, you don't attack Ozil for his Turkish roots and then blame him. Blame that for then saying this is why the German team failed in the World Cup. Like it's just been a fuck fest all around. Yeah. Um, so another example, I think, of how sports and politics intersect, no matter how much we want to separate them. Yeah. Um, But yeah, very interesting issue. I think I, I welcome all readers to investigate it more, investigate Erdogan more, investigate that there's a good Guardian article on a player who, you know, was kind of punished for not doing the kind of thing that Ozil did. Very interesting subject.
0: Yes. Um, And if you really want to d- d- take a deep dive, there's a um, not hilarious. I mean, I know it's not really hilarious, but there's a. Ah, uh, story of an NBA player who literally doesn't speak to his parents anymore because uh, of their the politics in Turkey. So it's obviously not a. Uh, it's obviously one of these one of the more complicated and complex uh, uh, arenas that we can do. But I, I, yeah, everyone should go and check it out. And you know, I personally would never have done what Özil did, but I also really think that regardless of that, he should be commended for calling out. It's a hard thing to do to quit the national team and call out, you know, the people who who, you know, especially someone who's a bind, you know, binational person, myself like it's an impossibly hard t- thing to do to 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 do something like that just because when you do it it feels like because his whole life you can tell from the the pain in this article this this message that his whole life he'd felt like he wasn't welcome that he felt like they were treating him like he wasn't German, that he was less than and By representing German, he he got to be and and he got to finally put that stuff behind him. Uh At least he thought. And then when, you know, when these things started happening and and when these people were saying these things about him, all of that, all of those feelings and all of that otherness all just flooded back. Um, You can just it's in it's a it's a very painful thing. And despite, you know, his, I think, clear (laughs) moral failing in, in supporting Erdogan and his, you know, more and more seeming like a fascist coup. You know, it, regardless of that, you, you don't want to have people in your country that you treat like that. So um, anyways, yeah, I just wanted to uh, shout out to my to my main man. Um Let's uh, let's move on from from politics, unless you guys have anything else to say about this and talk uh, a little bit. We have one of our uh, patrons, one of our followers, uh, Grant Little. Um, is going to madrid and he would love to meet up um he's studying the broad there from august 23rd to the to december 23rd um so if anyone else is in madrid uh you know reach out to graham um or grant sorry uh, he's on patreon so just he posted this um, i'm sure just reply and and meet up it'd be really dope and send us a picture and we'll we'll put it up on twitter um yeah kian do you have any do we have anything else that we want to discuss the, the Butroguenyo question, I think.
2: There's a good question on Butroguenyo, which I think we should take. I, can I just go back to Isco stuff for one second? Um, because there's a, one of the things that Ramin Nagi asked earlier. Um, I don't know if we truly addressed, and it kind of resurfaces under ESSA. So Ramin, when he says, um, how long do you guys think it will take for... People define a narrative where Isco was the problem during our season. Oh yeah, season. I forgot about this question. Uh, and then Essa says, what should Isco improve on? I think one of the things that uh, Isco gets, gets criticized for, some of it is fair, some of it is unfair. Um, let's say, but as you know, the, the narrative writing against him, largely so, is he doesn't release the ball quick enough or he's too slow. I think Isco in the past season, has been tremendous. I think there's been a lot of times where he's made the wrong decision. I also think there's been a lot of times where it's been exaggerated, where against PSG, for example, in the first leg at home, there were instances where he had an outlet to pass through on a counterattack, and he decided to slow slow it down. And people would look at that one play and say, this player was open, and that's it. Isco had a bad game. He He needs to be benched. He's not efficient, blah, blah, blah. I think also, and I I remember going back and writing about that particular game and going through and rewatching it, and and, um, I remember I was in the stadium for that game, and then the next day I watched it again and just kind of put a lens on Isco, and the guy worked so hard without the ball in terms of just high pressing relentlessly, like as if he had eight lungs to spare, um, causing PSG to cover possession multiple times. He was one of the only ones actually creating anything offensively until Bale and Vasquez and Asensio came in late in the second half. And I think with Spain even, I I don't know where Spain would have been as bad as a tournament as they had. I don't know where they would have been offensively without him. He was the only one who was trying to be incisive in the final third where everyone else was just recycling possession and Nisko was just a constant outlet. So while I think he has things to improve on, I, I'd also say that there's always going to be a contingent of people who will look at one bad pass he's made or one pass he didn't make to like a wide open bail or whoever it may be and just call him inefficient and, and superfluous and, and call him for the bench and I think that'll be probably unfair whereas the other good things he does trumps those moments I do I do think that we haven't seen Pete go yet I do think he can improve certain things of his game and largely probably just being a bit more efficient in vertical but again i i don't even know if that's fair because i thought he's done a really good job in the past few months to to actually be more efficient and i think we have a narrative that he's stuck with that he may need a few months to shed um fairly sure. or unfairly.
1: Yeah, i i would, i I, I, pers- I personally shed the idea that isco is this inefficient player um et cetera. Et cetera. I shed that narrative a long time ago because i felt he really matured in the Ancelotti years, especially the 14-15 season, where 99% of the time that wasn't really an issue anymore. Um, I think, I think the bigger deal that arose later, um, that that was a real issue, was the idea of Isco dropping too deep, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I I don't yeah. think you could ever detach that from the system and the tactics that he played in. I think, I think the issue is if you let Isco play in a team that is too fluid and is not structured in the way it plays, then Isco is automatically then going to move deep and and look for the ball because there's there's not structured lines of attacking play. And the truth is that wasn't a problem with Lopetegui because Lopetegui likes to play Juego de Posicion, a a pretty structured style of attacking play that requires players to be in specific zones. And we kind of saw that Isco problem with Hierro a little bit in the World Cup, but that was because Yerol's attacking tactics became more and more fluid as time went on, because he didn't have the same tactical um, that you know tactical knowledge as Lopetegui, and he was just following a very generic blueprint, than rather the specific you know the the specific tactical uh, patterns that Lopetegui had had created. So I personally don't think that's going to be in in an, an issue under Hulín. Um, and I think really what we're talking about with with that Isco issue of him going all over the place and dropping too deep was a pretty short period of time in the last season with Zidane mainly when things just got overly fluid and Isco was, I mean, Isco was the DM, Casemiro was the number 10. Um, I don't really think that would be an issue anymore. Mm. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong, but I, with what I know, I, I think it's reasonable to assume that that's not something we're going to see as much anymore.
2: Well, we, I, I agree. We... With,
0: I agree with. Um, um, I would also say, just to Ramin's point, I, uh, I think it's more likely that um, the X player is the problem narrative emerges about a player who's not Spanish, just because that's sort of the pattern that the Spanish kind of tabloids go with. So it's more likely that it'll be it's Bale's fault or it's Benzema if he's still around's fault or it's. You know, whatever problem it's it's someone else's fault and not the not the Spanish players. But you know, maybe.
2: Well, we the the those narratives mostly came from the fans rather than the Spanish media, um, with the Esco ones. Um, yeah, rest, Thomas
1: fans, etc. Yeah,
2: and, and so, but the the whole thing about him dropping deep under Hierro in those limited matches, we saw Hierro as a coach. They actually it actually mm-hmm. happened quite a bit, and I think. There's, to me, there's not many arguments for having a player like Isco run across the pitch to show us an outlet two inches away from a defensive midfielder when, with no one around. Whereas, like, I think it's a good point about the Kwaigura position and how that might rectify a lot of these issues. I can kind of, you can you like, If you really wanted to stretch and, and clutch at straws to find an excuse for it, you may be able to, with Real Madrid, that you'd rather have Isco carrying the ball than Casemiro deep if you wanted to just hand it off to him but in the Spain team where you had like Busquets and and who else was in that team everyone from Coque to Tiago to Iniesta to Silva to Asensio and all those people it seems so ridiculous to, to watch that over and over again where Silva and everyone else would just stay stand around and Busquets would just look at the ball and Isco would Run halfway across the pitch should just be like, Here, give me the ball, just hand it to me. I that stuff I hope you'll see rectified under Lopateggi. Yep, agree
0: hundred percent. Why don't you guys um hop into the boots thing? I'm my I'm having some internet issues, so I may take this opportunity personally to uh uh log off. But oh okay. No, I'm just just FYI. I, I'm gonna try to stay on, but if if I if my computer if you can't hear from me, it's because uh, my internet. There's something going on with my internet in my building. I don't know. There's a big thunderstorm here in DC. I think that some of oh, okay. it's was going down with that. But just okay. FYI, everybody.
2: patreoncom slash Madrid.
0: <laughs> hey, if you did if you give us more money, we might be able to fix the internet. That is if he, that is a fact. If you've stuck with us this far, you're a true fucking fan. Yeah. And that
1: means you're probably a patron. And if you're not, it sounds like the thing that you would do. And I, I think you should go do that right now.
0: Yeah, seriously.
2: Um, this is a question from a non-patron. Um, at Reddy on Twitter, he says, Hey, Keon, Gabe, and Um, since today is the birthday of the great Butrogenio, can you please talk about his legacy at Real Madrid and the role he's playing today in, uh, and the role he's playing today? Um, so is it today? His, it's his official birthday? today, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is. July 22nd, 1963 was when Emilia Boutragouni was born.
2: So feel free to jump in whenever you want, Om. I will just quickly say, uh, first of all, great human being. I had a chance to have a lengthy discussion with him uh, a couple summers ago, I think it was um english is flawless by the way and uh just to genuinely i'm talking to a legend and um the whole time he he kept turning the conversation back to me how are you tell me about your story how did your dad become Aridisa, et etc and he's li- genuinely just did not care about himself and that was an uh, just one of the long lasting memories that i'll never forget as a player like we like we've seen with so many uh legendary players who sit at high thrones in the club's history they they come at a time where the club really needs them and puts them on the puts the team on his back and and wins trophies and and does a lot of great things before i guess he broke out like around 84 85 because he joined Castille. i think it was eighty eighty one. he broke out in the first team 84 85 and then i think he had his best year towards the late 80s like between. 86 to 91 and i'd say like his peak was maybe 80 88 to 90 around that time um the club just was kind of in a dark dark stage you know like we can talk about how raul and how he took over the Butragueno mantle and he he ended up benching him and and with raul they won three champions League in five years and two of them raul was prominent in and and the team wasn't that great but he really stepped up with Butrognon, this is a, a Real Madrid team that was bouncing around the UEFA Cup. Uh, was eliminated in the round of 64 of the of the 84 UEFA Cup. Then they won. Then he came in. They won back to back UEFA Cups. And then the, he never won the Champions League. But through his peak between 86 89, that time they got to the Champions League semifinal three seasons straight in a row, which is which is impressive. They won the league. They dominated the league. I think like five, five, five La Liga, league, five, league five La Liga in a row. So and um, he was never a prolific scorer, but I also don't think he needed to be either because that was the, also one of the things that is under talked about in the in the Quinta del Buitre era is that it also possessed Hugo Freaking Sanchez who was scoring buckets and buckets of goals. So yeah. Butragueno could just be relied on as just someone who didn't have to be too prolific but just kind of guide the team he was his charismatic leader and one of the things before I kind of just wrap up my little spiel here is that he had this knack for just freezing in the box like with the ball where he would be in the box and he would just stop and everyone would just stop they didn't know they didn't want to lunge in and get the ball because they 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 knew they were going to get beat. And Butrugeni would just play these mind games in the box where he could just literally stop playing in the box and look. And everyone would stop. And that that part was really cool. He scored a great goal. One of the greatest goals in club history. Kind of in a moment like that where he just kept playing and stopping. And, and he beat like a bunch of players and scored from an acute angle. And um, happy b- birthday, Edwitre. Great man. Great legend of the club. Um I'm glad this question came up.
1: Yeah, so I think that was a pretty good summary of what he offered. I'll just add a couple of things. Um, like Kian said, an absolute legend of the game. I think mentioning that he played with Hugo Sanchez was, was good because he had a decent goal-scoring record. Uh, Emilio, he was 123 goals in 341 league games. Um, he kind of had a Benzema to Ronaldo you know, role-type feel to his game. You know, he was a very all-round forward, very elegant player, you know, a, a pretty good dribbler. He, he he wasn't, like, super fast or anything, but he, he just had this languid, you know, elegant quality to him. He could just glide past players. You know, very good all-round. And, and like you mentioned, he came at a time when Real Madrid was not very good at all. Um, You know, there's famous, you know, uh, room, you know, I wouldn't say rumors, but, like, legends of the time was that people attended you know the castilla games in larger numbers than they attended the real madrid first team games i mean i don't know if that's true or not but that just kind of gives you the sense of what the feeling was of the team at the time and and he came in and what he essentially did was he led a great you know probably our greatest ever you know youth cohort um from La Fabrica and he led Real Madrid and he led that cohort to five La Liga titles. And those those five players were Sanchez, Rafael, Martin, Vasquez, Michel, M- Miguel Pardeza, and then Emilio Butragueño himself. And those five players were called the La Quinta del Buitre, which meant the Vulture cohort. And that created a whole new legend to Real Madrid because it was really... The first time well i don't want to say first time but the 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 most famous period where our youth players really shone, and it created this 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 strong connection you know to our youth players and this there's always since then been this feeling that we should always have one great youth player on our team and that kind of continued with Raúl, iker Casillas, and since then we've kind of been searching for that player we've had carvajal now come in and that kind of created this this part of part to real madrid's identity that while I think people outside the club have, have never really investigated, I think Real Madrid just goes out and buys superstars, but all Real Madrid fans now feel this kind of attachment to Castilla and, and wanting youth players to to come up from the ranks like Morata, etc. And that really is because of Emilia Butrogueno and the, and, and the, the, the five the, the four youth players that he led, five including himself. And it's a really interesting period of history. It's not something that I think we talk about enough because we tend to remember the immediate past and then the beginning, you know, of our story. So the Alfredo Di Stefano uh, time, and then, you know, Ronaldo, you know, Raul. And we don't really go farther than Raul. There's some really interesting periods in the middle. You know, Hugo Sanchez, one of the most underrated players in Real Madrid history. He was the Ronaldo before we had a Ronaldo. And then you have Buter Gueno. So I encourage you all to look into that, you know, great time in our history probably our most dominant league period since you know the De Stefano area are arguably more dominant you know like Keon said great guy he was known for being the, you know he had some nickname that was something like the gentleman of the picture something like that because he never got a red card in his career so yeah happy this was brought up a shame to say that I didn't know it was his birthday before it was brought up but I'm glad I got to talk about it and yeah I hope all of you take the time to learn more about him
2: also, please go back and listen to the podcast we did uh, with our Real Madrid All-Time 11. I had someone comment on one of the podcasts recently and say, can you guys please do a Real Madrid History podcast? That All-Time 11 takes us into all kinds of discussion. Oh, yeah, um, that was that was a great podcast. Yeah. You guys should check it out. Possibly one of our greatest podcasts ever. And um, if you want to know about history and stuff, go go listen to that podcast because it'll always be relevant until we have to update it which I don't think we'll have to do anytime soon because it was updated to the point where Modric was, was in there. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Gabe, are you around to lead us out?
0: Yeah, I'm here. Happy to. That was a great discussion, guys. I didn't want to jump in. I was worried that if I tried to uh, inject myself, I would just cut out. But um, yeah, there's. Uh, I think that we should probably just do some patron shout-outs and then um, wrap this baby
2: up. Let's do it. I haven't told you guys yet, but Patreon.com slash ManagingMadrid is where you go to pledge. You can pledge different rewards, uh, pledge different amounts and get different rewards. And one of your rewards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to all of our magnificent patrons. Shout out to these specific patrons who pledged $10 or more. Nick Stefani, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavarnakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Yahya Ibra- Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Dan Berthi, Jahan Watson, Selvin Adolfo Chamali Perez, Anas Alazawi, Raul Gutierrez, Armin Kashi, Mraga Patluri, Tyler Dixon, Vicky Cohen, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obaid, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, and Daniel Smith. Thank you, guys. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, sorry about this show. I mean, <laughs> there's not that much to talk about. So now you get to hear, you know, about our, uh, fast food preferences and best cuisines in the world. And you, uh, had, I think, Luca's first real cameo. And, um, uh, but also I hope that you guys enjoyed the very interesting discussion about you and then, um, uh, kind of some of the preview discussions about uh, some of the other players and how we're moving forward. Alright, so until uh, until your patron show, hopefully we have um, some news, a little bit of notes. Uh, until your patron show on Wednesday, see you soon. Alamari. madrid Mattress Firm's most popular sale is back. Why? Because people like you love it. Janine from Bowling Brook told us that getting the king size mattress for the price of a queen was excellent. So, for a limited time, we've dropped the price of a king to a queen and the price of a queen to a twin. So you can enjoy incredible savings across America's best-selling brands, up to six hundred dollars. But this sale won't last long, so hurry in today. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com/sale.